like I was having premarital sex with men before I let the first swear word escape my lips. <laughs> I definitely did recreational drugs before I ever drank Coke. Um, <laughs> like Coke. Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to Please Bless This Podcast, the podcast where two sisters and sometimes Spencer talk <laughs> about all things Mormon and pop culture and sometimes TikToks. TikToks. I'm Ooh. Elisa. I'm Katie. And this is Spencer. And I'm Spencer. Hi, everybody. Oh my gosh, Spencer, we're so glad you're here. Do you want to introduce yourself a little? Yeah. My name's Spencer. I was raised in Utah as a Mormon, part of like the devout group. Went on a Mormon mission, went to BYU. That's where I met Elisa years ago. Mm -hmm. And then I started to leave the church my senior year at BYU. And then like really left after I graduated and got out of the state. And here I am. I feel like you're underplaying some of your Mormon accolades. Spencer was a Hinckley scholar at BYU. Do you know what that means, Katie? It sounds really prestigious. <laughs> yeah, It's just like cream of the crop. Like you'll never have to lift a finger, pay a dime, basically. Oh, good for you. I mean, I worked hard before and after the scholarship. It's not yeah. like I didn't have to do anything, but they gave us money. They gave us the most money out of any scholarship there. And that was much needed for me hmm. and yeah. much appreciated. A very prestigious BYU student. So yeah, we met... At BYU, but not exactly. Like you had already graduated when we met, and I was in grad school at BYU. It was like 2008, I want to say. Yeah. Yeah. The year was 2008. A concert together, a music concert on BYU campus together. (laughs) And you met Katie not that long after because you came to visit our family in Washington. I did, Mm -hmm. where I met all your family. Your friend hit on me not knowing I was gay. (laughs) And yeah, I was part of the family. You were part of the family. And my dad said, she's barking up the wrong tree. (laughs) 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 Okay, so today's episode is inspired, like Katie said, by TikTok and specifically BYU TikTok because, whoa, a lot is happening. Yeah. Obviously, we have like the Black Menaces on TikTok who have been doing the Lord's work Mm -hmm. by creating content that reveals a whole lot of what's going on on campus. But then there are a lot of other BYU TikTok folks showing up and it's gotten to a point where we just feel like we need to talk about it. Yeah, we just need to lay it all out there because what the fuck is going on at BYU? We've also been getting some listener questions. We've had a few folks ask, like, what is the difference between all the BYUs? Why are there so many? Mm-hmm. And then just in general, what the hell is going on? Yeah. Like, this is getting Deal. to be a lot. What is wrong with these children? <clears throat> so to so kick it off. Things. So many things. To kick it off, let's play this first video. That's sort of the framework of our whole episode. From at Morgan Nicole. What's your favorite potty drink? Milk. Water. Chocolate milk. Juice. Water. Kool-Aid, man. Respectfully, what is going on at BYU? (laughs) Mm -hmm. I need someone to write me a 10-page paper on what goes down at Brigham Young University on a day-to-day basis because I have so many questions just stemming from that video. Okay, but let's just start with the two top most egregious. Number one, milk. (laughs) And on that same vein, 1B, chocolate milk. (laughs) 
You riding with lactose at a party? No, ma'am. Number two, and this is the more egregious of the two. Sally here said Kool-Aid, <laughs> which is not even that egregious because you and I both know that's not the same Kool-Aid that we grew up with, okay? My good sis, Solandria, said cream soda. Now, while I don't like or adhere to stereotypes of black women, how you get out Negro by a white girl at BYU? As soon as that girl said Kool-Aid, I went, she means crystal light. <laughs> like, it's crystal That's light. That's the Mormon Kool-Aid, at yeah. least in our household. And I've heard from other people, it's a thing. Someone asked me, do all Mormons drink crystal light with dinner? Mm. Yep. Crystal light and yes. tang. Crystal light mm. and tang is what we were raised <laughs> on. So basically, this episode is our 10-page paper, as requested. <laughs> Yes. Um, digging into what is going on at BYU. I have to say milk and chocolate milk. I drank more chocolate milk in my years at BYU than in the rest of my life combined by, by, a, by a big margin. Were you drinking a lot of chocolate milk, Spencer? I have never much been a milk person, but everyone in my family always was. Like when my brothers come in, would come and visit home, my mom would have to buy gallons of milk to support them there. And they really go with like a huge cup and just fill it to the brim with milk and just down it. Yeah. It's baffling. Yeah. Our dad was drinking like a gallon of milk a week growing up. For sure. That's me just lately, constant. actually, since I've been pregnant or just in this like stage of my pregnancy, I am drinking quite a bit of milk it's upsetting that's nice you're returning to your mormon roots yeah or like i'm the baby <laughs> full circle the thing to understand about byu is that there's like a creamery and they're like ice cream and milk are are a thing that people get excited about mm -hmm. and buy and that's why i was encountering a lot of chocolate milk but mormons and milk is a thing yeah i also laughed a lot at the people in the video who said water like when someone asks you your favorite drink, you're not allowed to say water. That's not even an option that you should be able to choose. No. Right. Also, you're rolling with lactose at a party. The thing is, when you're at BYU, the party is never going to go hard enough, late enough, deep enough that it's going to matter that you have a belly full of lactose. Yeah. In the way that it would in the real Normally. world do you <laughs> yeah. disagree spencer you're looking a little skeptical i i agree that like we're not going to parties people aren't drinking alcohol so they're not gonna like throw up because they have lactose in their stomach yeah but the thing is and i think we get into this a bit later like you're usually doing parties at like someone's house mm -hmm. and at byu you can't use the bathroom of someone of the opposite sex mm -hmm. so if you're like mm -hmm. eating all of this lactose and you need to use the bathroom and i am at a girl's apartment I can't use the bathroom. I have to run all the way home to use the yeah. bathroom. So in like that situation, you're in trouble if you're rolling to the party with lactose in your stomach. That's a great point. The yeah. living situation at BYU, whether you're on campus or off, you have pretty strict rules about using the bathroom of someone of the opposite gender or going from, say, their living room to like the hallway where the bedrooms are. You mm -hmm. can't do that. There was also curfews, right? I'm trying to remember what they were. I think like midnight on weekdays, I want to say, and like one or something on the weekends. 
Yeah, BYU Provo had something like that, where then you had to be out of the apartment of people of the opposite sex. And BYU Idaho had a rule that you had to be in your apartment. Like they would lock the doors. So you had to be in your own apartment by a certain time, or like mm. then you couldn't get into your apartment, I guess. Have I ever told you that I was, you know, this, I was an RA for a couple of years at BYU. Yeah. And so one of my jobs when I was on duty was to walk around at curfew and make sure all the boys were out of the hall and chase them down if they wouldn't leave or whatever. And at curfew, people would just flood out into the streets and the kids were just on the grass in the middle of the night in the cold. I was just going to say, do you go out with a flashlight and just start looking behind bushes? <laughs> no, because because they're allowed to be outside. They just can't be inside. So if mm -hmm. you're willing to sacrifice your comfort, you could stay up all night mm -hmm. with someone of the opposite sex. Yeah. And people did. And they did. Yep. Let's talk real quick about the difference between the three BYUs. Let's. So Can I give my uneducated take on what I think they are? I would love that. Please. Okay. I think that BYU Provo is like the one, like the chosen one, you know, and that's where like everybody wants to go. And that's where I imagine like the cute British boys go, like when they are like, I, I, I like, listen, I have a whole thing. <laughs> and then I think obviously you go to BYU Idaho when you don't get into BYU uh, proper, like you like, sorry, you're going to Idaho and it's like a little bit like I don't know like a trial that like God is putting you through <laughs> like that's the way they look at it and it's like Napoleon Dynamite you know whatever and yes. then BYU Hawaii is like where all the really hot people go just like the most hot people does that make sense I mean that feels pretty accurate spot okay. on so BYU is the OG BYU Provo that's where Spencer and I went it's the biggest has like 30,000 plus students. It has graduate programs and the other two don't. So higher enrollments, uh, division one sports, that kind of stuff. BYU Idaho was a junior college until 2001. It was called Rick's college. Sky high acceptance rates. Everybody's yeah. getting it. <laughs> if you apply, <laughs> you can go under 20,000 students and they have more restrictions at BYU-Idaho. Like, hmm. I remember when I was at BYU learning that if if you went to BYU-Idaho, you couldn't wear, like, overalls or shorts or flip-flops. But at BYU-Provo, we could. Hmm. And it wasn't clear to me why on earth that would be any different, but it was. Hmm. And then, yeah, BYU-Hawaii is the newest. It was established in 1955. It's the smallest. There are just like a few thousand undergrads. They do have sports, Division II sports, which I didn't even know until huh. I looked this up. And then the highest percentage of international students. So I knew a handful of folks who were at BYU Provo and would apply to do like a year at BYU Hawaii. And it was, if they got it, it was a big deal. It yeah. was this like exciting little you know, adventure to go to Hawaii for a year. Mm -hmm. But a lot of folks tried that and didn't get in. Like, I it's think they're pretty they, selective there. It's because they, they weren't hot enough. Hot enough. Yeah. 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 yeah totally. I think you're right. And then the things all three have in common, huge, huge, huge percentage of the student population is Mormon, like up to 99%. Mm -hmm. 
all of them have an honor code and honor code office. So you agree to this honor code and then it's enforced. And we'll talk more about that. All of them have some restricted dress and grooming. Like we weren't, what weren't we allowed to wear, Spencer? Like crop tops, beards. No facial hair, no long hair past your ear for men. Like Mm -hmm. they wouldn't let you take a test if you showed up with any type of facial hair. You had to go home and shave before they'd let you take a test. Mm -hmm. I remember thinking there was a shorts rule. Like not that you couldn't wear shorts, but it was like strict like in high school where it had to oh, be like sure. to yeah. the knee to the, sure. to the knee oh, to the sure. knee oh, yeah. like yeah. showing again, some knee is already scandalous yes right. and again you could get sent out of class out of the testing center if your shorts were too short was there a pajama rule maybe that was also a byu idaho thing sounds like byu idaho like them yeah they're right. strict up there mm-hmm. um other things that are common across all three spencer your notes meat market (laughs) oh i have some that you left out so first of all for people who don't know these are all just a meat market like you are going there and your professors your church leaders everybody is telling you to get married to another mormon as fast as you can and like the whole structure everything is built around this the way that you have singles wards the way you have activities every type of social interaction is like based on trying to match people up and get them married as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. Do you agree? Yes. Oh, 100%. <laughs> That's the goal. Yeah. That's I mean, the goal. I had bishops who were just like, you know, we'd be in ward council and they'd be like anxiously, like, how do we get the people to date so they'll get married? Like, people aren't dating enough. How do we get them dating? It was like, I'm sure that it was coming from the top down that they were getting pressure to get us all hooked up and married. Mm-hmm. And in retrospect, yeah. that's because that's the surest way to keep us all in the church, right? Like if you marry another Mormon and you commit to this Mormon life, you're more likely to stick around than if you leave on your own and realize the world is much bigger than BYU. That was our story, right? That was Look our story. Where we are sure. now. We were we were failed experiments. I know. We slipped through their little fingers. Yeah. What else, Spencer? So most schools in the U.S. will have an in-state and out-of-state tuition, but BYU doesn't have that. Instead, it's you're a Mormon or you're not a Mormon. And if you're a Mormon, your tuition is cheaper versus than if you're not a Mormon, which is really interesting. The yep. reasoning behind that is because you've been paying into, supposedly paying into tithing for your whole life. And that's where some of the funds come to support the church. But it's very strange to explain to people who <laughs> have not grown up with like knowing this their whole life. And the Mormon tuition is cheap. Real like you cheap. could not find a cheaper university to go to and there's a video the black menaces did where they are interviewing black students at BYU and saying like why did you come here and a lot of them are kind of like you know yikes I don't know but uh, several of them say because it's cheap yeah yeah the other one I would say as well I know on the podcast I'm a super fan of the podcast I've listened (laughs) to all the episodes But on the podcast, I know you guys have talked about a lot of other more out there sects of Mormonism and all the BYUs are still very like mainstream Mormonism, Mm -hmm. but they have this ultra conservative Orthodox layer on top of it. Kind of like you were saying about some of the rules at BYU-Idaho, they have these fake rules like that you can't wear capris or flip-flops, which are not like real church rules. They have nothing to do with doctrine. But at these places, there's these additional rules and this like ultra-Orthodox 
flair that seems to really survive there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the Mormonism you practiced at home as a kid, but there's this added element of everybody's watching and everybody's performing it to their best ability because one, they want to get married and they want to be seen as marriageable. And two, because the honor code is always watching. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about the honor code. Like, what are we agreeing to? There's the academic honesty part of it. Like, don't cheat, don't plagiarize, that kind of thing. But then there's also live the word of wisdom. Yeah, there's a lot of morality stuff. Definitely no sex, but also I think you could probably get into some trouble for less. You wouldn't get like kicked out necessarily, but you might be disciplined. Mm-hmm. They'd probably Especially, have to about tithing. Yes, definitely tithing. Definitely just like general church attendance. So you got to be on your best behavior. People are watching. It's kind of like if your dad's the bishop. It's like mm-hmm. everybody's dad is the bishop. Mm-hmm. You know, so you got to act like, you know, get your fucking haircut, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Get your act together. You're representing the family. Right. Let me ask you both this question. I'm curious, Spencer, how you would summarize your BYU experience. Positive, negative, in between. And I'm wondering, Katie, how you would characterize your experience as like my little sister coming to BYU for years and just sort of taking it in. Mm-hmm. You want to go first, Katie? Sure. Visiting you, I remember there being a surprising amount of rules. Mm-hmm. I remember our dad giving me a hard time about what I wore, um, mm. but sort of jokingly being like, oh, I don't think you should wear those shorts. I think they'll kick you out. You Whoa. know? And like, yeah, boys like kind of standing at the threshold of your room. Mm-hmm. And I was like confused by it. And then I realized like, oh, they literally can't come in here. That's so funny. But honestly, most of my experience at BYU was when I went there for EFY. Mm. I went to EFY a couple times and uh, that's a whole thing. I feel like EFY is like a religious psyop to like get you (laughs) to apply to go to BYU. Like it's like the whole thing, you know, I get that they did it at other schools, but that's just how it felt to me. And a psyop is so... (laughs) perfect like that's exactly what it is that was a weird experience we could have a whole episode about efy a whole episode in itself because that did you know i was an efy counselor yeah i was gonna ask i i knew you were i was gonna ask if you ever did that spencer because that's crazy (sighs) it was one of the weirdest things i ever did i grew up in utah so i didn't need efy like my everyday life was efy surrounded (laughs) by mormon kids at school that was a wild experience for me for sure. Getting escorted everywhere by a boy. Yep. You know, always leaving with a new boyfriend. <laughs> Maybe that's just me. <laughs> Couldn't help it. Oh my gosh. Yeah, we need an EFY episode. Yeah. Anyway, that's uh that's sort of my view of BYU. It was very um like culture. I'm definitely a culture shock compared to like where we grew up and then going there. It was like I think it definitely made me see you in a different light. I like almost like you're a nun not a nun but you know what i'm saying like yeah oh my sister is super more like i was a religious zealot right because me yeah. at like 14 was like there's no way i'm doing this so mm-hmm. she must be like a different i don't know you're on a whole other level but i remember when i was really young feeling like uh it was like the only option like oh yeah you just go to byu 
Mm-hmm. Even though neither of our parents did, it still felt like what you were just supposed to do. But then at some point, everybody just gave up on the idea of me going to college. And so it just, luckily that went away. <laughs> you were spared. I was spared. <laughs> what about you, Spencer? Yeah, I feel like growing up in Utah, just the assumption you were going to go to BYU if you were a smart kid was just really drilled into you. Like mm-hmm. I didn't even apply to any other school outside of Utah. I just applied to BYU and the University of Utah and that was it because mm-hmm. that was like all the options that were really told to me. When I went to BYU, I didn't find a big cultural difference because I grew up in Utah. So I was used to being around that same sort of thing. And I, over the years, I think I really had a good experience there. I really liked it at BYU mm-hmm. when I was younger and like more into the church. And then after my first year, I took the two-year break and I went on a mission. And so Mm -hmm. after coming back again, I was like so into Mormonism that being at BYU just seemed like so great. I was lucky that even though there's a lot of weirdos at BYU, there's also normal, lovely, liberal people that are there too. Mm -hmm. So I kind of like found my circle of people. And so I hung out with like a fairly liberal circle there, even though we were surrounded by people who were uh, very, very conservative. For me, it just became more difficult as I like realized I was gay and started coming out like mm-hmm. my senior year. That's when things just became like unbearable for me and having to go to church with my my singles ward family and all that stuff just became like a real nuisance and an annoyance. Yeah. And like going to class where even in like your math class, they start with a prayer and things like that, like started to really annoy me when I was realizing I was starting to leave the church, but there's not a way to leave the church when you're there at BYU, especially if you're in a position where for me, like coming out, the uh, honor code can come after you and just kick you out for like no real reason. So I feel like me and other people I know in the same situation were really living in fear. So you kept everything secret. Mm -hmm. You tried to not meet people because you were afraid that if someone found out, and like outed you that you'd get kicked out your senior year of school and then all of a sudden be like well what am I doing with my life I don't have a college degree I don't want to like start all over type of stuff Mm -hmm. so that's where for me it became really difficult but I feel like my first couple years there I was in happy blissful ignorance in the Mormon bubble yeah I want to dig more into your experience in your senior year and going through all of that when we get into a couple of the videos where they talk specifically about like LGBTQ students at BYU. But I had a similar experience with your first few years where I like showed up at BYU, happy to be there and everybody was nice and I liked being in school. And so it was great. It was like ideal. And I also was lucky to find friends who were pretty open-minded. I mean, in retrospect, most of the friends I had at BYU have left the church Hmm. because they weren't super like hardcore radicalized Mormon types. They were pretty like liberal-minded people. So I got lucky with that, like you, Spencer, where I had like a community of friends that was really cool and we were having fun and it was great. And then I went on a mission after I graduated and came back for grad school. And something about my mission really cracked my brain open. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's another episode or series of episodes probably. But I came back and was just like, "This, this isn't working. You know, like, something's askew here for me Mm -hmm. I'm 
I'm going through all the motions, but I feel bad. (laughs) I'm not happy about this. So when I was a grad student, I started to feel a lot more dissonance in my experience there where I was like, these people are still nice and this institution is still like familiar and comfortable, but I'm, I got to get out of here. And I didn't right away. I actually worked full time as visiting faculty, which I do want to talk about that at some point, just a little bit, because that was a whole other level of trippiness. But by after a year of that, I was like, I have to go. Mm. And my reasons weren't as clear cut as your Spencer, but I was just feeling more and more like this is not who I am. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're going to look at another video uh, related to what we've just been talking about. This is from the Black Menaces on TikTok. Okay. Um, would you report someone to the honor code office for same-sex dating on campus? Yes. Okay. Can, do you want to expand on that? Um, sure. I mean, it's clearly outlined in the honor code, mm-hmm. you know, and I took an oath to uphold that honor code and, you know, see uh, or go after people that aren't yeah. seeing it. So. Um, what does the honor code say about same-sex dating? Um, they'd say that it's not encouraged and that it shouldn't be publicized or allowed on campus. Okay. So, yeah. Cool. Awesome. Thank you so much. That's all. Why did it low-key sound like he had it memorized? <laughs> <laughs> what an absolute villain, right? I know. In school shooter vibes. Get that guy mm. out of there. The honor code says you should go after them? What? BYU needs less vigilantes. There's like yes. so many of them running around. The BYU honor code actually took out language about same-sex dating fairly recently, just within the last few years. So he's actually wrong. Wow. Like, it does not explicitly say, like, that you can't date. I think it says that they're holding you to the same standards as straight couples. So, like, you're not able to have sex, but that you can, in theory, they don't, like, bless it. But in theory, because they took that part out, you can go on dates and maybe kiss. I'm assuming Maybe. that's the thing. It's kind of a gray area. Mm-hmm. And, and of course it's a gray area on purpose so that they can come for some people and leave other people alone. Right. Right. But this yep. guy doesn't even know what the honor code says and he's mm. treating it like it's his duty to go after, after. same sex couples. Yeah. I definitely felt that energy when I was like coming out my senior year, because even though I didn't really know any out gay people and I didn't hear stories about that specifically, there was still like that energy everywhere. Like you would have people telling on other people because they stayed after curfew Mm -hmm. or because you saw a girl in their bedroom. So like that energy was everywhere so that I was terrified. And like, I would not go on any dates in Utah. Like I flew out of the state to go on dates with people and even flew out of the country to like, experience different things and be more gay because I was not going to do it in Utah wow as a senior in college you were flying out of the country I mean I was so poor how did I afford this right right? but like that's how important it was for me I mean I was going to Korea anyway so I did stuff there and then when I moved to Canada that's where I like really started to come out but there was no way I was going to jeopardize everything in Utah because the whole city of Provo is just like Full of this type of energy where you're afraid to do anything. Mm -hmm. It's a small town and there are also urban legends slash true facts, historical facts about um, BYU administration monitoring like 
license plates in the parking lot of gay bars in Salt Lake, right? Mm -hmm. So even if you're being careful in Provo, uh, there there are eyes on you. Mm. So my good friend at BYU, um, her husband was reported to the honor code office for suspicion of having a same-sex relationship. And um, this is her like straight husband who they were ma- they were married at the time. They were married. They were married at the time. And what they think happened was that he ran into like a childhood friend of his on campus and was sitting on the arm of this friend's, this male friend's chair in the Wilkinson Center, and someone reported them. Gosh. That's what they suspect happened. This was years ago. But he went and he had to go through this whole rigmarole with the honor code office where they're questioning his sexuality and being like, are you sure? Are you sure? Now is the time to tell us. Now is when we can help you. If we find out you're lying, it's going to be worse. And then they brought her in and asked her, are you sure your husband is straight? How do you not leave (laughs) the church at that point? They like that in. is so sick like they were really disturbed by it obviously yeah. but like you know he was ultimately a straight guy and they were fine and sure. n- there were no consequences but how terrifying would that be if you actually were gay and and something as benign as like hanging out with a buddy right could proximity you... to another yes man yeah like any sign of any show of affection or mm-hmm. closeness it's like right that's great it, i've never thought about this before but i'm thinking about it now because of this conversation when i was my last year before i started to leave the church i talked to my bishop about being gay mm-hmm. my bishop there on campus and now i'm oh. wondering if he like talked to the honor code office about it if like they're like a reporting system they never called me i never talked to them Mm-hmm. but I just wonder yeah I don't know what the rules are around bishop reporting if they're required to let the honor code office know or if there's some kind of confidentiality but again the fact that we don't even know that we didn't know that when we were students and you were having such a vulnerable conversation with your bishop there's just yeah. so much risk involved with everything another video please Let's do it okay this video is from another account it's at Dan Ban Bam. And he's another who's asking BYU student who's a lot of great questions. Here we go. Would you rather die a horrible and excruciating death or watch a porn video? Ah, uh, just die excruciating death. <laughs> yeah. Die. Probably die. Die a horrible excruciating death. Die. Watch a porn video. Okay. Why would I die a horrible death? <laughs> the first one, uh, uh, die a horrible death. Porn video for sure. I'd rather be alive. <laughs> I would rather die a horrible, excruciating pain death because then you'd be a legend. <laughs> Probably the second one. Sorry, that yeah. makes me a sinner. Drown. Drown. I mean, I don't really want to die, but like, I don't really want to watch porn either. But watch a, watch a porn video. I'd probably die an <laughs> excruciating death. Are you kidding me? That's obvious. Uh, I'd watch porn video. Um. <laughs> the porn one. <laughs> I'm gonna watch that porn. <laughs> I'm gonna have to say the same. <laughs> 
watch porn video. <laughs> Can we talk kids. about how they all call it a porn video? Like, that's not what it's called. Aren't they supposed to be young and hip college students? Yeah. Oh, I'm going to go home and watch a porn video, y'all. Mm. <laughs> it's like saying you're going to take weed. I'm going to go home and take weed. Take some weed. Um, yikes. At least it's a mixed response. Like, God yeah. bless those kids who are like, look, just watch the porn. What the hell, man? Right. Yeah, it's bad. I remember hearing stories about how Utah was like the highest consumer of porn of the states mm-hmm. in the US. So I did some research before this to try to look this up. And it's true. It's like up there with Mississippi as the highest percentile of like or bandwidth usage of, of porn of all the states. And then in like 2016, Utah declared pornography a public health crisis. Yes, thank you. And so because of that, Pornhub like released all these facts about Utah porn consumption specifically. So things like they are searching for words like cosplay porn Mm. or like first time anal or stepsister were like terms they search for much higher than other states. So like. I think all these students who say they would rather die are just lying straight through their teeth. Absolutely. They're watching porn. They They're are. watching porn. Mm-hmm. They for sure are. Uh, they're just saying that because they are afraid that their parents are going to see it. Like it's as simple as that. Or that the honor code office is going to see well, sure. it. And mm-hmm. some like vigilante bishop is going to call them in and drag them around. And yeah. <laughs> who knows metaphorically drag them around like i remember there was a room in the library it was like the hugh nibley room and my friend had the code to it so we'd go study in there sometimes and that the search history on that computer wow i tell you people were in there watching porn day and night cosplay (laughs) porn i don't know what else there is to say about that but the kids are not all right yeah i recognize that porn can definitely be a problem for people but it also like deeply pleases me to think of these kids secretly watching porn sorry the thing about byu is like if you watch porn once and then maybe watch it a second time you're all of a sudden in this classification that you have a porn addiction right because i had a friend that was like he would talk through with the bishop and go to like the support group because he was addicted to porn and I don't know, I didn't get into the details. Maybe he really was. But I think there's a lot of like throwing that term around just because mm-hmm. someone's watched porn like once or twice. And how could mm-hmm. they ever like unless right. there's something fundamentally wrong with them? Yeah. Right. Mormons love an addiction narrative. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. if you drink alcohol, you're addicted. I mean, we have a relative who has said things about tea being addictive. Mm. Uh, yeah which like caffeine is addictive but like you're you can drink tea yeah like relax yes even if you drink it regularly it doesn't make you an addict no no yeah i know a lot of people whose like relationships have been thrown into turmoil because of this like intense narrative about porn addiction Mm -hmm. when it's just like I don't know. People can be healthy and look at porn mm-hmm. and it doesn't have to mean that their marriage is in jeopardy and they're, right. you know, not a good person. Right. I mean, under their same definition of addiction, the like sensationalism of religion could be an addiction, you know, right. it's just like anything can be an addiction under that same definition. Right. Yeah. 
Okay, we need to watch a couple more. There are just so many good ones, you guys. Show me. Oh, let's go to this one because I hate it so much. Another oh. great Black Menaces video. You're going to oh. hate it. Question is, do you consider yourself a feminist or would you? Um, No, I don't think so. Okay, dope. That's it. Cool. Oh, hell yeah. Awesome. Perfect. Uh, Thank you. Yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> okay, dope. Can I ask you why? Um... Maybe I just don't know a whole lot about it, and I feel like a lot of the views are a little bit more negative than I feel like they could be. Okay. Nope. That's it. Sweet. That's a good question. I'd need to do a little more research about what feminism uh. is to really understand whether <laughs> I am one or not. I, I believe that career opportunities should be equal for women, but I also believe that children need at least one parent in the home for them to be properly raised. Whether that parent is a man or a woman. No. Perfect, sure. thank you. Yep. <laughs> well, I think God created men and women. Everyone was equal. So, I mean, I guess I'm for humankind. I wouldn't call it, like, feminist. Yeah, I would call it just, I'm for love of everyone. <sighs> Dark energy. Perfect, thank you. That is the definition yes. of feminism. <laughs> Me too. No. Okay. <laughs> Props to the Black Menaces for like yes. their interviewing skills because they're so polite. No matter what the people respond, they keep yeah. a straight face. It's very open. I mean, we can't even keep a straight face no. watching it. And in the moment, they are so professional. They really are. They are in the trenches. <laughs> yeah. This is brutal to watch. I feel like a theme across the Black Menaces videos is they ask a question and students hem and haw and equivocate and are like, I just don't know enough yeah. to say, but mm -hmm. here's my horrifying take. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, how do you not know enough about feminism to know whether or not you subscribe to it? Like, read a book, Google it, like, get it together. Yeah, they've just been trained to, like, basically hate women <laughs> and definitely hate, like, progressive, independent women. So even if they do technically totally believe in feminism, they can't say they it. They can't say it. Or else, whatever. Even that last woman was like, well, I believe men and women are equal and should be treated equal. But I yeah. wouldn't call that feminism. That's like literally the foundation and definition <laughs> of feminism. But she's right. afraid to like say that she's a feminist. Because it's too negative. It's negative. Yeah. Ugh. <sighs> Where's the gun? Sorry. Just <laughs> I mean, I remember being an undergrad at BYU. And see, because one thing I like to do when I watch these videos is I'm like, what would I have said? Like, what would 19-year-old Elisa, who was loving BYU and saw it as this, like, happy little enclave, what would I have said if someone asked me this? And I remember, if I'm being honest, I remember having a professor at BYU who was very openly a feminist. She was super cool. She was a great professor. And she was, like, kind of mentoring me and, like, giving me some attention in a way that was really helpful. And... I remember being in her office hours and she said something to me about feminism. And I remember having this kind of alarm go off in my head that was like, you got to be careful because feminism can be dangerous. It was, it was like the voice of a million people I'd heard at church. Yeah. Was in my head. And I remember like having that thought and sort of being like, shut up. Mm. <laughs> like, what is yeah. that? Yeah. But it was there. It was, I mean, it's powerful to have those ideas circulate around you throughout mm -hmm. your entire upbringing. Like, it's hard to shake them.
Yeah. We so had it instilled in us, you know, I think especially as women and as girls sort of like be quiet, be happy, be sweet mm-hmm. and be positive. And that, and that even means like if there are people who are rightfully upset about something in an uproar about something, ooh, steer yeah. clear. Like don't right. make yeah. yourself a part of that. Even if they're absolutely correct. Right. Yeah. There's a sweeter way to go about it. Kill them with kindness. Right. Yeah. yeah. As I watch these, I think like, I don't want to come down too hard on the individual students because they're a product of their society. And like you, Elisa, I was one of these people when I was Mm -hmm. this age, but there's, there comes a certain point where people need to do some research on their own, need to like figure some things out, need to think for themselves. And I don't know where that line is, where we start expecting people people accountable, holding people accountable for it. So Mm -hmm. it's hard because it's like, I want to give them a pass because they're maybe 19 and are only living out of their parents' house for the first time. But like, come on, people do some think some critical thinking. I know I like, like I said, I think I might have had a terrible half answer to a question like this. But I think also, if someone had said that's a terrible half answer, and you need to figure it out that would have been good for me. <laughs> so part of me is like, yeah, I have compassion, but also get it together. Like yeah. you're saying, Spencer. Mm-hmm. like enough. I think the like, I don't know statement is like very much Mormon culture. Cause I know even after I came out of the church, I would say it all the time when I just wasn't confident enough to say what I wanted to say. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until I had a therapist who would push back on that every time that I realized like, I did know what I was thinking. I just didn't want to say it because it was going to hurt someone's feelings or because I, it was wrong and I didn't Mm -hmm. want to say it, but it's how I really thought. And so I think that's like, that's instilled in us when we grow up and I don't know where it comes from, but we all had it happen. Well, I feel like a lot of time there is like a true answer and then there is the like proper answer. Mm-hmm. you know to so many questions I struggled with that so much and I think that's part of the reason why I left the church when I was so young I feel like I was always coming up against that from the time I was really young just everything I said was wrong I didn't have the right answer for anything I wasn't giving the right answer for anything so yeah I do think it's a very Mormon thing to avoid conflict contention is of the devil right Mm. and so if i state my opinion clearly and directly inevitably someone will have a different opinion and there's contention there Mm -hmm. so instead i just need to like equivocate my little heart out Mm -hmm. and then no one can really get mad at me because i didn't actually say anything yeah i think that comes up a ton in these videos and it is so maddening yeah that's really frustrating and honestly as i got a little bit more disconnected from the church it was a thing i used to my advantage i could talk circles around a tumble recommend interview a like a worthiness interview without actually saying anything you know, like I remember being in an interview where a bishop asked me, like, how do you feel about the Book of Mormon? And I was like, I know that it's a really important book within the church. <laughs> <laughs> and they were, you know, Nailed like, it. yeah. Yes. <laughs> Nailed it. So maybe this is a good time to talk a little bit about the interview I did when I was applying to be full-time faculty at BYU. So you have to interview with a general authority to be full-time faculty. So I did. I met with a member of the 70 in his office in Salt Lake. And 
it was one of the most bizarre experiences of my entire life. He was a nice old man. He had been faculty at BYU himself before he became a general authority. So he like had a lot of kind of insider questions for me. I was also interviewing to be in a department where folks had been excommunicated from that department historically. And he was kind of like, do you know about this history? Isn't that horrible? (laughs) Like, wouldn't you never, ever, ever want to even come close to that? Like a kind of like veiled warning. Mm. But a couple of things he asked me that were nuts where I use this technique to my advantage. He asked me, what is the most important book to assign your students to read? Like the most important work of literature. And I had no idea. That was a a minefield of a question. Mm. And I wasn't about to just answer it. So I said, what a great question. What do you think? You know, it sounds like you have like something in mind. And he was like, I do. In fact, I think it's the Scarlet Letter. What? And then he talked a little bit about the Scarlet Letter and what a great like moral tale it is, which I'm not sure what side of that story he landed on, honestly. Yeah. But he talked about the Scarlet Letter for a while. And then he said, what is a book you should never assign to your students? And again, (laughs) I wasn't about to answer that. And so I just kind of danced around it and I said some things without answering. And then he said the answer, the tr- the right answer was Lolita. The right answer. Yeah. Which knowing what I know now about Joseph Smith is incredibly ironic. Yeah. <laughs> incredibly Yikes. ironic answer. Wow. Um, anyway, it was a lot like that. A lot of weird stuff. He had looked at what I wrote my master's thesis on and I wrote it about just real quick. This like early American Gothic novel where this man has a delusion that he's being like inspired by God, a voice, an angel, whatever. And he kills his family. It's an allegory for the Revolutionary War. Anyway, he knew about this book and was like, that book could get a little dangerous if you start to think that all revelation is a delusion. Oof. And I was like, sure could. (laughs) But again, I just made no declarative statements. And so I kind of sailed through. At the end, he gave me a blessing. This was a job interview. Can we just return to that? This was a job interview. Um, He gave me a blessing. In the blessing, he said it was okay that I was unmarried and that I would likely marry one of my students. (laughs) He did not. In the blessing... (laughs) that's like not allowed by BYU rules is it one of my undergraduate students (laughs) and honestly I don't remember what else he said because that really (laughs) kind of distracted me for a few minutes I was like yeah what is this you're gonna reverse slowly to one of your students (laughs) no anyway I got the job (laughs) by not by basically just avoiding all the questions And then I did that job for a year and was like, I have to go or I'm going to lose my mind. Mm -hmm. Did they ask you as part of the interview to bear your testimony? Because that was an interview question when I was interviewing for the scholarship. Like it was Mm -hmm. one of the criteria you were being based on was like, how strong is your testimony? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was asked to bear my testimony at that stage. But even earlier in the job interview process, I was, I, I had to meet with like, Someone from my department, uh, the dean of the college, uh, provost in the administration building, and then this general authority. And from the dean up, I was asked that. 
it was really only in my own department where they were really asking me about like my teaching, my research, my qualifications to teach. The real skills. Beyond that, they were just like, you know, what is your testimony about a faith-centered education? Did you uh, end up dating one of your students? No. (laughs) No, absolutely not. Another blessing gone awry. Mm-hmm. I know. I I dropped the ball. My husband's in the other room. Like, come on, man. Mm. <laughs> you guys. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, equivocating is a Mormon superpower. Do For we sure. want to do? Do we want to do one last one? Let's do, do one another. more. Just one more. Let's do the swear words. Oh, fun. Favorite swear word. Um, I like the dick. I no, no, I like the dick. Shoot, shoot. Yeah, like shoot. Yeah, and shit. By the S word. The S word. Yeah. Okay. Shoot. I say shoot. Shit. <laughs> I really, I really like the S word. Okay, cool. Do you have an alternative? Yeah, the D word is fun. Dang, dang it. Gosh, dang it. That that was. Is that it? Dang it. Yeah. Gosh, gosh dang, dang it. it. Dang. Dang it. Dang. <laughs> Maybe damn. <laughs> I go for gosh dang it a lot. Fudge. Fudge. Yeah. Fudge. I like fudge. Fudge. I like fudge. Frick. I sound so Mormon, frick. <laughs> frick? Definitely fuck. I say Good frick. Good for you. Or glory gracious. Probably. Ugh. No. <laughs> you know, honestly, I say fetch. Flip. Dang it. <laughs> dang it. Dang it. Probably dang it. Fuck. <laughs> I am delighted by how hard it makes him laugh when they actually swear. He's real cute. <laughs> yep. The shock. Is it glory is it only gracious? Mormons? That one is crazy. Barf. Punch. Is it only Mormons that say like F word, D word, S word? Because that's definitely what it was called in my house growing I up. Mean, is that Mormons a Mormonism? And like five year old children. Yeah. yeah. Little kids. Yeah. <laughs> I think. Zoinks. I mean, were you swearing as an undergrad at BYU? Because I no, wasn't. I didn't even swear for a couple of years after I left the church. Like I was having premarital sex with men before <laughs> I let the first swear word escape my lips. <laughs> that's powerful. That is a that's an interesting point because like some there are a lot of things for me too where like the order in which I started doing things after leaving the church is like all fucking over the place. (laughs) I definitely like did recreational drugs before I ever drank Coke. Um, (laughs) Like Coke. Coca Cola. Coca Cola. (laughs) Yeah. And um, I don't know, I can't think of any more examples, but there's a lot of things that are all over the place. I left the church fifteen years ago and I still have never had coffee. I don't I don't drink coffee either I've maybe had a sip of it and I was like that tastes like it's burned there's no rhyme or reason to it it would be super interesting to deconstruct like what was your first steps outside Mm -hmm. of like the church boundaries and like where you went from there because like you said we all went in weird orders that aren't like in terms of how the church teaches gravity of sin like we Mm -hmm. all went in strange orders and it'd be interesting to like sit down and kind of like map that out yeah yeah, and it's really interesting because everybody's so different. The shelf breakers are like totally different or just like the little straws, the things that really like took you out of the church mindset and yeah. into that like sort of more flexible, I'm going to start kind of doing what I want mode. Yeah. It's Do you really know what your first thing was, either of you? <laughs> yes. Yeah. What? Yeah. 
um like masturbating and mm. sexual stuff questioning yeah, my sexuality sex. yeah so maybe there is some commonality i mean that's a big one when you have yeah. this church that's like you know it takes all these normal things like wanting to <laughs> fool around with your with your significant other when you're a teenager or masturbate or mm -hmm. um same-sex attraction and it's like oh all those things are bad and wrong it's like well mm -hmm. i am going to do all i those know things, so. and there's my it's body like, is telling me right yeah. your body is telling you something in the church is like no there's no outlet for that it's like mm -hmm. something's got to give here yeah at some point right and it's you it's you needing to be like well i guess i need to just get used to this feeling of guilt and kind of work beyond it and mm -hmm. learn to like live with it and see how i can like live with this sin and but then eventually that just all it all just comes crumbling down because yeah i will say honestly though like i was saying fuck before i was doing that so maybe swearing was my gateway oh yeah no for me it was like i was real young i mean i was still paying tithing still going to church mm -hmm. still wearing my garments not swearing all this stuff but then like having sex with men on the side that was mm -hmm. the first one with me for sure yeah mm -hmm. this has been such a psychologically revealing discussion my friends what, a treat. <laughs> what an absolute treat i mean what the hell is going on with students at byu uh i don't know but it's been going on for a long time it was going on when we were there it's a weird little microcosm of mormonism and i feel for folks who are in it because it can be hard when you're in it to see beyond it mm -hmm. and can it can be hard to like know yourself because you're not really allowed to ask yourself some key questions or explore like key aspects of your identity you just kind of have to shut it off for a few years. Yeah. Which is so hard, especially at such an important time in your young adulthood. It's so sad, honestly. Right. BYU doesn't encourage individuality. It encourages groupthink and conformity. I mean, I think that's just the truth. Mm -hmm. And so to make it your home, you kind of adopt groupthink and conformity until you reach breaking points which we both did but yep. some people never do i know a lot of 50 year olds who are like byu oh my gosh the greatest experience of my life i have no notes it was perfect <laughs> i mean i had a great time at byu but i'm glad it's over and i yeah. would never go back i don't understand yeah. people who are like i wish i could go back to byu in the heydays of yesteryears no, ma'am. Not a chance. Mm -mm. I just wish I could hang out with my friends. I wish we all lived on the same block. That's about it. Yeah, remember you didn't even use to schedule. You just walk over to someone's apartment, walk in the door, because mm -hmm. you were friends. You didn't knock. And it was and if unlocked. Your friend wasn't, it was unlocked. And if your friend wasn't there, you sat around and hung out with their roommates until your friend came home. Yeah. No planning, no like schedules. Mm -hmm. That was really nice. That was That's so nice. nice. Your life was like a movie. You were the main mm -hmm. character. Except that all you drank was milk. Yeah, yikes. <laughs> Cream soda. Well, Spencer, thanks so much for joining us on our little podcast. It's been so fun to have you. Mm -hmm. Come back Thank anytime. You. Yeah. Friends, listeners, followers, please follow us everywhere at Please Bless Pod. Send us emails at pleasebesspod at gmail.com. 
let's write some reviews on apple podcasts please we would love that that would be amazing anything else um you know just keep on keeping it real yeah you know prepare your answers in the off chance that you're going to be approached by the black menaces on the street yeah you know let's really think about things yeah please know your own mind please bless the black menaces Mm. Uh, please bless tiktok please (laughs) amen and please bless this podcast amen amen